Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am Larry Wilmore, and you are listening to Black on the Air. This is the last one of 2017, you guys. The last Black on the Air. Not of all time, just of 2017. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening this year, making our podcast special. As I said, we were uh, Time Magazine called us the fifth best podcast in their top ten of the year. Keep the word out there and keep giving me your feedback, who you'd like to here on the show, that type of thing. We're going to continue to do live events, which is a lot of fun. We have one coming up in San Francisco, I believe, in early February. And um, hopefully we can come to where you are, too, at some point. That would be great. It would be so much fun. Today, the end of the year, we're going to do a special kind of best of uh, some moments from some of our favorite podcasts this past year. We'll hear from Neil deGrasse Tyson, some Malcolm Gladwell, a little Issa. Ray, <laughs> and uh, and maybe some others, too. I think you'll enjoy that. It'll be fun. So I don't know. What a year it's been, you know. The only thing I'd like to talk about real quick, a couple of things to me are the biggest things of this past year. The big thing was the silence breakers, the whole Me Too uh, movement where women are telling their stories, people are listening to it, revelations of some monsters who were hiding in plain sight. Some people who were, you know, called to account for horrible behavior. And it's breathtaking. I mean, what has happened this year, it's it's really amazing. And I hope that it does lead to a real change in our society and a real relationship change in, in how we deal with, you know, with each other and, you know, how women have been mistreated and that eyes are really open on this issue. I hope so. And then the other big thing this year to me is the Trump administration and the normalization of just Trump lying. And it's so ironic that those are our, our two big things. And the assault. It, and ironically, for me, the, one of the most disappointing things is the Trump administration, to me, ends with an assault on women. And I'll explain that. So you guys heard about the CDC had some words that were banned from the Trump administration. And here, this is so ridiculous. The words that they want to ban from the CDC, Center for Disease Control, diversity, fetus, transgender, vulnerable, entitlement, science-based, and evidence-based. This is ridiculous. You got, this, by the way, we could go through each one of these and say how insane it is. And as we all know, the banning of words and books is another one of those first steps on the way to an authoritarian regime, as we all know. But I want to focus on one of those, and that's fetus, okay? Because to me... Banning the word fetus to me is a direct assault on women. And you better believe um, that this is intentional of what's going on here. And let me break it down a little bit. To me, it's the first shot or one of their shots in their attempt to overthrow Roe v. Wade, not only by the president, but by the right. And they're serious about this, you guys. And if you don't think they're serious about it, you know, if there's any issue that the Republicans are united on, it's on wanting to overthrow Roe v. Wade. Not just be against abortion, but wanting to overthrow this, okay? And to me, and this is my opinion, I haven't heard it anywhere else, I believe this is one of those first attempts to do that. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think what they're trying to do by getting rid of the word fetus and from some of the language that I've heard and substituting the word unborn, which both are true, 
you know, there's a human being that is unborn, and that unborn human being is something that we call a fetus, right? That's just a scientific term of describing it. Both of those things are true. But it's not enough to have both of those things be true, okay? What they really want to do is to give constitutional rights to an unborn fetus in an attempt, in an effort to ban abortion. That's what's really going on here. And if you listen to the language out there and you listen to the way that the right and people on the right are going after this issue, guys, this is coming down the pike. And this is what I want your eyes to be open to in this new year is this attempt to do this. Because to me, this is a direct assault on women and women's right to choose and to have agency over their own bodies, the exact opposite of what's gone on with the silence breakers about this issue of agency over their own bodies and what's been going on. That's the irony of this whole thing. And it's very simple, guys. I mean, the cognitive dissonance that Republicans have over this, you know, like when they were against gay marriage, you know, they've always said, you know, we've defined marriage for 2,000 years or for thousands of thousand years. Why do we want to change that definition? Well, we've also defined life since the beginning of time. Life has always been defined from your first breath to your last breath. It's been defined from breath to breath. On every tombstone I've ever seen and every celebration of a life or talk of a life, it's been from the moment they were born to the moment they died. I've never seen the talk of a life about from the moment they were conceived. Now, that's not to say that after conception, there is a human that is developing. Yes, but let's have a fucking... Honest intellectual conversation about what that is. That person is not born yet into what we consider both legally and colloquially a life. And if we're honest about that, that is the truth. What Republicans are trying to do are trying to give constitutional rights to an unborn child so a woman cannot uh, will not have the ability to, to choose an abortion if that is the right choice for her. They want to take that choice away by giving constitutional rights, guys, by saying that that's an American citizen and that a woman can't do anything because that American citizen has rights, okay? This is not there now, but I'm telling you, this is where it's going, okay? Now, there's a lot of problems with that that they are not foreseeing, by the way. And by the way, this is ridiculous. Nobody has ever, you know, we all have birthdays. We don't have conception days, you know? It's like, what day were you born? Born? Let me tell you about one day I was conceived, you know? But the, the Pandora's box, no pun intended, that is being opened up here is uh, how about immigration? If we're okay, so Republicans, if you're telling me that we're going to measure when a person is a citizen by conception, well, anyone can claim they were conceived in the United States and they're an American citizen. So you might want to be careful about this road that you're going down to protect your so precious. Um, assaults on immigration in this country because you, now you're working against your own interests, all right? But anyhow, this is uh, all I want to talk about on this is that the irony that in this year, these things that have been happening forever to women that our society is finally acknowledging, you know, and we're doing something about it, and it could be a big change. At the very end of this year, there's this direct assault <laughs> on women having agencies over their own bodies. My opinion on it, I think it's coming. I think we need to keep our eyes open on it. All right, on that happy note, guys, let's have a little best of. <laughs> I know, I don't mean to make light of it, but uh, I'm very serious about this, guys. We really need to keep our eyes open on this. I think it's a very serious issue. But I do want you to enjoy this best of. 
And um, I look forward to talking to more people in this new year and talking to you guys. And uh, I wish you a happy new year. And I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. I don't care about Kwanzaa, them. That's a whole different story. Okay. All right. Let's have a quick word from our sponsor. Can religion and science coexist peacefully? Not if you... Or is one... Do you think with the more science that uh, exists... I'm I'm using a word that isn't quite accurate. What I mean is our, the, the more we discover the realities of science and the possibilities of science and the world, mm-hmm. and the world as it exists in the, in the physical realm that can be explained, uh, does that shrink religion, do you think? It depends on what religion is to you. Mm-hmm. And there are people who like to think of the mysteries of science as the manifestation of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all, but there's enough for me to... The, the mysteries of science as the manifestation of God. Yeah, so for example... Okay, so it's God's will... To say E equals MC squared. No, no, no. That e equals MC squared is not a mystery. Okay. We got that. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, it's, it's, for example, we still don't know what dark matter is or dark okay. energy or what was around before the Big Bang. Okay. And so they say, well, God was around before the Big Bang. Or maybe the That's dark the energy that permeates all of the universe is the spirit of God. Okay. There are people who sort of lean that way. The things that can't be explained, God is the explanation. Yeah, and I would say... God fills in the gaps of knowledge and is what it is. And in the history of philosophy, mm-hmm. it's called God of the Gaps. It's literally called oh. the God of the Gaps. Wow. And, and that's why it, there's enough people who feel that way that philosophers mm-hmm. came out with a term for it. So mm-hmm. if God to you, and I, I've said this online, and people truncated the last phrase and put it on t-shirts. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> And so here's the full quote, if you must know. Go for it. If God to you is where science has yet to tread, Mm -hmm. then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Yes. And in many ways... But that was an if-then statement, is right, my point. It was an if-then. But then. people took the last phrase, right. God is an ever-receding pocket of <laughs> right, scientific... Right, right. Like, I'm ready to go out and fight you for it. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, no, yeah, this yeah. is an if-then statement. Right. And so, because an atheist, there's a... Keep trying to claim me, mm-hmm. and are you atheist or do you believe in God? Well, so here's what. So, or do, have you taken no, Pascal's? Have you taken Pascal's wager? <laughs> Pascal's wager. Uh, why don't you tell people what that is if you're going to invoke it? Well, I mean, or you can say, no, I already know. Why don't you tell them? <laughs> yes. Well, you'll probably tell it better than I. But but to sum it up, I mean, I would rather bet on the possibility of God and be wrong than bet on the non possibility and be wrong. Yes. Uh, right. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 So right because the eternal damnation in hell. Yes. Uh, is as a as a real possibility, yes. you don't want to bet against that. Right. Did I say that right? You don't want to bet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you don't want to bet against the possibility of that world being being right. so there as judgment, judgment not, for you. So right. why not become religious? Right? I love that God starts from this whole judgy place. You know, that's where <laughs> I see God. People are so judgy, and God, right, right. God is like the ultimate judgy mm-hmm, type of thing. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, but, so wait, so where do we leave off? I yes. just wanted to say that... So for you personally, oh, so for me, where, per- where does God exist for you, this astrophysicist who has studied the origins of the universe yes. from a physical standpoint? That's correct. Okay. So let me, let me explain to You've you this. You've taken God out of that equation. Let me explain to you this athe- right. atheist thing. Okay. So I'm typically claimed by atheist. Mm-hmm. And atheist, if you look up the definition, is like denial of the belief in a God or whatever. Okay. Whatever that is. Okay. Right. It is the belief first, in the non-belief. The first is, <laughs> right. I'm, I kind of object that there's a word for that. Right. Is there a word for people who don't play golf? 
Uh, no, there's not. Okay. Other than non-golfers, but that's not a thing, <laughs> okay. right? Okay. There's not a word for things that you don't do. Uh huh. So, well, the, you're asexual if you, you know, don't have sex, I guess. Uh, yeah, but the asexual creatures predated the sexual creatures. Yeah. So when sexual creatures came around, then they went back and decided to label nice. them. I like okay. how the astrophysicists just dropped that mic on me. That was nice. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, asexual. Uh-huh. You know, they probably didn't have a word for that. It just was. Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's people later than then assign a word. And uh-huh. so what, what are labels but intellectually lazy ways of asserting you know information about someone before you even have a conversation with so them? So atheism is an intellectually lazy if word? You, if you're going to call someone an atheist without having a conversation with them, yes. Interesting. Okay. So now watch. Okay. And I assert the only ist I am is a scientist. Nice. Okay. I like how you did that. Okay. <laughs> I like how you didn't answer that. No, I'm in there. So don't watch. So um, if you say, do I believe in God? I'll ask you, well, is there a particular God you have in mind that you want to know if I believe in it? Okay. Is there one do you have in mind? And then you go to Google and there's like a thousand deities sure. there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Th- a thousand. And some easily. religions have just gone overboard with how many and gods And some have there. gone extinct. Some yeah. have many. Some have, okay. Yeah. So generally we're here in the West that so we speak of the, the, the oh, God of are Abraham. Any, are there any like dormant gods? Like, are gods like volcanoes basically? <laughs> <laughs> they just come back sometimes? Or? Okay. I don't I, know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I think once a culture goes away, yeah. they don't come back. They take their gods with them. <laughs> yes, I think exactly. is how that works. Yeah. Um, so... So you're talking about uh, the God of Abraham. Yeah, so the God of Abraham, which is the God of Christianity and the God of Islam. Okay? So, because they all use the same book, Mm -hmm. original book. The Judaic God. The Judaic God, correct. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that is the the great monotheistic Mm -hmm. series of religions. Yes. Okay. So typically that's what they mean. So I ask, um, is this God, as you Mm -hmm. have know him, all-knowing? Well, of course he's all-knowing. Then I say, is he all good? Mm-hmm. Of course he's all good. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait a minute. And mm-hmm. so I said, well, let's define good so that we don't yeah. have to argue this. Because so, that guy did a lot of smoting. Well, that's what I'm saying. He did a but lot of smoting. It did only if you're bad. Yeah. Okay, so but now. But you were still smoted. If you're bad. Yeah. Okay, so then you had it coming. But a smote is a smote. It's a smote is yeah. that biblical <laughs> bad, right? So And that whole pillar of salt thing. I mean, come on, God. Now you're just being petty. I got you. So yeah. now watch. So, but, but, but very creative. I mean, I, I never would have thought of salt. Salt. Yeah, cool. That's pretty good. Um, and so, uh, what was I? All good that? and all powerful. Yeah, yeah. So, what would all yes. good be? It'd be in the interest of your health and okay. maybe your longevity. That's mm-hmm. a simple definition. Okay. Of well, good. it would be, but any definition we have is an anthropomorphic definition. Well, that's of, fine. But right. if it's something else, tell me, and I'll right. work with that. Sure. But right now, I don't think that's a controversial definition no, of I something guess not. being good. Sure. Okay, okay. So now, now you look at the tsunami in Indonesia. That took out a quarter million people, mm-hmm. presumably innocents. Not every one of these quarter million people right. were devil worshippers. Okay, mm-hmm. it also took out a quarter million people mm-hmm. from Haiti okay. in an earthquake. Right. So you look at natural disasters. You're saying God did that? No, I'm saying you look at natural disasters okay. that take the lives of innocent people. You're blaming that on God, and you are forced to. You as a scientist are blaming on. that on God. You are I'm just forced. To, you are forced to ask the question: If there is a God. Mm-hmm. That God is either not all powerful or not all good. Um, I, I would have to disagree with your premise a little bit there. What's the premise? Well, I would say you, you, would, have to, you would have to define your God a little more specifically. I because, just did. No, I no, said no, but not completely, not completely, okay. because maybe your all-powerful God isn't necessarily an intervening God. 
I'm saying all because I said you're, was, well, just no, because was, you're all powerful doesn't mean you exercise no, no, that power. All I'm saying is, like for instance, if the God you want me to right. worship, okay, is all powerful and all good according to how you have defined them. No, the God I want you to worship is this God. No. <laughs> okay, if that's the case, uh-huh. then that God, in the face of natural disasters that slaughter innocent Which people, is a natural disaster. Yes, not uh, a not a God-made disaster, right? Not a God inter, intervention. What is the disaster? last line of any insurance form? Acts of God. Yeah, but that's okay? insurance. I'm that's, just saying. I know. Okay. But nobody can so trust So an act of God company. is some act of violence that kills people <laughs> right. and destroys property. Yeah. Okay. Act of God. And we all is, somehow, somehow accept that line on right. an insurance form. Act well, of God is more like lightning hitting you while you're. It's nature. Right. <laughs> striking at you. So all I'm yes, saying is, yes. if that's how you define your God. I don't see evidence of that God. But what if That's I my say... Point. Now, if you want wait, to come wait, up... No, 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 wait, wait. Yeah. But what if I, I define my God as all-powerful and all-good, but not an intervening God in world affairs? Like, he set it all up, and he says, all right, you guys, I'm going to be back in about... A, I'm going to be back in a bit. You guys go to then, it. I set up a weather Then where ecosystem. is the all-good? Where does the good come in? Well, his good is that you can learn from that. Learn from what? Learn from an earthquake or yeah, a tsunami? You learn, you, a you, volcano? You learn from For, sorrow as much as you learn from good. Okay. So You learn from hardships as much as you learn from fortune. You learn from tragedy as much as you learn so from... So why do you need a God for that? Because he set that up. I'm just giving you the parameters. <laughs> I'm just giving you another out, another I was argument. I say you're being devil's advocate, but you're actually being God's advocate. <laughs> yes, there. I'm being right. God's okay. advocate. <laughs> Man, why you got to be Jesus' advocate? Does God mm-hmm. need an advocate? Uh, so all I'm saying, this... this I'm just contrary. This conund- I'm just this, that asshole that gives you another argument. You. Yeah. So this conundrum yes. arose in the late 1700s okay. uh, among philosophers mm-hmm. after this devastating earthquake and tsunami. The, the, the powerful good argument. Yes, okay, in, in Lisbon, one of the holiest cities sure. in Europe. Right. On All Saints Day, mm-hmm. everyone is in church that morning. Right. It's a religious day sure. in a religious city. Everyone's in church, and this is the 1700s. What's the largest structure in any city? Mm-hmm. The church. What's yeah. the most susceptible to collapse? The church. Mm-hmm. An earthquake strikes. A tsunami follows. 80,000 people died yeah. that day. Mm-hmm. And so the philosopher said, we can't explain this any other way. Right. If your God is all powerful and all good, it can't be both. It but, can only be one or the other. And so that, but if so, you're, if you're a scientist, saying, so that, that is, birthed, it, is it, would it be shallow to blame a natural occurrence on a supernatural being? What I'm saying is if you want me to worship, believe in and mm-hmm. worship that God, right. I don't see evidence of what okay. you say the powers of that God right. are. Right. So now okay. if you're going to be Spinoza, now, what if something happens where someone recovers from a disease that is unexplainable? Would you give God credit for that? So here's an interesting one. So here's yeah. what happens. A doctor diagnoses you with terminal cancer, let's say. Why has it got to be me? Why can't you be in this scenario? Uh, okay. Because <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay. Doctor, doctor diagnoses a person okay, with terminal good. cancer. Okay, good. I like that better. But that person's like religious, and they sure. pray. They get other people to pray for right. them. Mm-hmm. And, after, and after six months, they're still alive. Right. After a year, they're in remission. Mm-hmm. After two years, there's no sign of cancer. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. The person is likely to credit the intervention of God and prayer and the, sure. and, and, and the like. Okay. Sure. So here's what intrigues me. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to, to, to credit mm-hmm. the intervention of prayer and the power of a deity than they are to say the doctor was clueless. Mm-hmm. But isn't that the opposite argument of... People blaming a tsunami on God, where it's a weather pattern. If and God has happen- power over natural forces, then God is either not all powerful or not all good. Did He have power over that over the doctor to treat you properly? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> the, the, you have to ask religious people about right. this. What right. I'm saying is, okay. you ask me if I am an atheist. Yes. That's what started this. Yes. And my, what I'm telling you is, when people come up with their definition of what God is. Yeah. These are the arguments that they use, right? Well, whatever. Whatever their arguments. Then right. I look in the universe and I say, this is a counterexample to what it is you're saying your God is. Sure. So therefore, I don't see evidence of the God that you're worshiping. Got it. So I remain skeptical mm-hmm. of the presence of a, of a deity in the universe. So okay. So, so, now, so now okay. watch. So now, that ought to count me as an atheist. So now watch what happens. Or agnostic. I. I'm getting there. Right. So atheists start claiming me. So watch what happens. <laughs> on my Facebook page, a friend of mine is oh going to fix God. the Hubble telescope right. on the space shuttle. And then my... Hubble, who you said had some race problems, by the way. The Hubble the man, not yes. the telescope. Right. The telescope sees all colors. That would be fucked col- up if a telescope had some race <laughs> the telescope issues. sees all colors. Yeah, right. I can't see the dark matter through this telescope. What's going on? <laughs> Yo, man, only white matter through this telescope. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so I say in my Facebook page... Uh, friends going up on space shuttle STS-181, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godspeed shuttle astronauts. Mm-hmm. What happens in my th- in the thread? I thought you were an atheist. Wow. This went on and on and on. So if I have conduct that people say, I thought you were an atheist, then clearly I'm not an atheist because words are not as they are defined in dictionaries. Mm-hmm. Words are defined as we use them, right. and dictionaries then capture words as they have emergently come to be used. Yes. That's the whole point of I a dictionary. Agree. I think that's a fantastic explanation okay. of dictionaries. Yes. So ask me my favorite Broadway musical ever. It's <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. Nice. Yes, I listen to that almost every week. I think we're unlocking like, a whole different side now. And continuously on Easter. Mm-hmm. Okay? At, what's my favorite choral work? It's Bach's Mass in B minor. Yes. Okay? Beautiful. Oh, I thought you were an atheist. Now, of course, you can be an atheist and like all of this, but right. what I'm saying is, if you use that word, mm-hmm. and later on I do something, and it forces you to say, I thought you were an atheist, it meant the label you assigned me constrained my behavior in your mind. Wow. And I will not have my behavior be constrained that. by your definitions of words right. that you are invoking. Plus, and so therefore I say, okay, I'm an agnostic, but really I don't want to be any word. Yeah, you want to be a scientist, all. right. I'm, a, I'm an ist. Yeah, I love that. And to, to me, a fan of astronauts, you know, growing up and of the stars from a different standpoint. What year are you born? 61. 61, cool. Yeah. Cool. So I was a fan of the stars from the standpoint of wanting to go to the stars, you know. And uh, and that's what fascinated me. But uh, but Godspeed, John Glenn is the phrase. That's you know? where that's that. Godspeed yes. is in the culture yes. of a, the American it's space program. It's in the culture of the blast off. And that's why it's I blast use off that term. Culture is what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, if you understand blast off culture, you know where that phrase comes from. Because I use it all the time whenever there's not well, to say Godspeed. This is my whatever. point. It's a yes, it's, right. it's a cultural word, and the people who wanted to pigeonhole me yes. as an atheist, therefore controlling what words I use, yeah. did not understand its use. So I just mm-hmm. came back. I had to drop. I had to drop a mic on him. I said. <laughs> I said. I was invited to an atheist conference. Oh my and I god! Brought this right. up. That's great. And I said, by the way, how many of you in this room use the has have ever used the word goodbye? Uh-huh. Well, we all have. Well, that means God be with you. Yes, it's a contraction of God be with you. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my gosh! And I don't know if they're no longer using that word, but right. the fact is, when, when would you say that? When you leave the city wall yeah. and you're going into the countryside, where it was very dangerous right. back before you had nation states. When you had city states, yeah. you say God be with you on these travels. You wouldn't need that within the city walls. You need it when you left the city. So yeah. you go into space. What can kill you? Speed can kill you. 
Godspeed. Nice. Okay, so Godspeed to me is the modern equivalent to God Be With You of yesteryear. Groskat. Yeah. And, and so so don't come running after me telling me how you think I should behave. <laughs> don't come running after Neil deGrasse Tyson telling them how he should behave. <laughs> and, 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 and okay, so as long as I'm not fulfilling your expectation of what an atheist is, clearly I'm not an atheist. Great. I love that. Now, Issa and I worked on this for a while, and then I left the project to work on Blackish. And when we worked on it, it was kind of a workplace. But then you took it to what it is now, which is more of a relationship show mm-hmm. centered on you and Molly first. Right. And then it's extended out to everybody else. Right. And I think that really draws even more of these issues out. You know, I, I feel like this show has, here's what I call it. I'll call it a, an urgency of ennui. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's what, it's like the characters are hurriedly getting their tickets to nowhere. You're so good with words. But that's you what it feels like. You want to come back like. and write on this? They are. What was that? You want to come back and write on this? Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like they're in a hurry to get their tickets to nowhere. Ooh. You know, like that's what they're doing all the time. And they don't know that. And though. they don't know that. That's you know? dope. And I love that about the show that it, it scoops that out in almost every episode. I love that. You know, and but at the center of it is is you doing that and your friends, you know, and part of it. One of the, the big things uh, in the second season, which I love, and by the way, congrats on the first season. It was so nice. Thank you. Uh, there was a, a whole hashtag war out there Man. with Lawrence, who's who's Eve's boyfriend. And all many of you have seen the show, but those that don't. And I won't give spoilers, but let's just say there was a big relationship issue at the end of the first season. And there was a Team Lawrence, hashtag Team Lawrence, yes. hashtag Team Eve. Which we did not anticipate at all. Yes. Now, this had to do with infidelity with Issa's infidelity, mm-hmm. which is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people were both upset by that and why it engaged so many people? Because people couldn't stop. Because you have a female character who is just just cheating, right. basically. Mm-hmm. As a, and as a choice, like I said, like the lying thing, it was unapologetic in its performance and in its storytelling. Right. And I th- and people I think were taken aback by that, right? Yeah, I think one right. we don't get to, we got invested in this relationship. Right. We saw this, you know, we saw her significant other start from a place of he was just in a really shitty place. He was a terrible boyfriend. And, right. You know, when we Your first relationship him, was stuck at that time. It too. was stuck, right. and you kind of were on her side initially, and then yeah. we tried to. We opened up their relationship, and yeah. and you got to see that they were kind of both at fault. She contributed right. to also the, I guess, why their relationship was so stagnant. Right. And then we got to see them sort of grow together. We yes. got to see him actually try. Right. And yeah. then, you know. When and, we, and you were hopeful. They, we were point. hopeful that, you yeah. know, they were back on track. But, you know, at some point, she had already opened this door at the first episode. And yeah. once a woman decides, like, I need, I'm opening this door, she's going to walk okay. through it. Once a woman decides I'm opening this door, which door are you talking about? She um, went to, she she revisited an old flame, right. her what if guy, a guy right. that she'd always mm-hmm. wanted to yep. pursue and yeah. kind of got away, you know, right. or was never, it was never the right time. In the back of her mind, it was like, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done that. And then, right. you know, when she had the opportunity in the first episode, he kind of shut her down. And right. so then he came back and I think it, he came back when she was working on a relationship. And I think mm-hmm. then... You know, it didn't. Be, it wasn't about her shitty boyfriend who was trying to get his life together. Right. It was about her and fulfilling this this fantasy and being this person that she had set out to be. This active person who made different decisions. And I think mm-hmm. once he came back into her life, it 
that well, that's tempting yeah. in a way. And I think people reacted so strongly. One, because, you know, they were rooting for this relationship. And two, right. we didn't realize that our male audience yeah. had grown so much. Like so many yes. people, couples were watching this together. Right. And right. so it became a sort of gender war and, and, and men felt betrayed that this person, because Prentice says it best, like, you know, because I don't, I'm, I don't Prentice see myself. Prentice Penny, who's the showrunner. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was like, you're you're every guy's like regular girlfriend. So yeah. they're watching you and they're seeing their girlfriends and the, the right. betrayal that they felt when your character, who's this everyday girl yeah. decides to cheat on this everyday guy. Wow. It just yeah. felt like such a huge, you know, right. betrayal. And, uh, and Lawrence only got more likable in every episode. He sure did. Yes. And yeah. I think that, and I think men identified just yeah. with where he was, you know, he wasn't in the best place. He was trying. He was trying. Yeah. But he was it, trying it, to make it, it work. Yeah. In my mind, it just, it wasn't about him. It was about her. That's the part that I want to focus on. It wasn't about him. It was about her. Yes. And that was, I didn't want to have him, her cheat when he was being a dick. Because you get that. That's justifiable. I didn't want it to be justified. I wanted it to be very internal. I wanted it to be an internal decision. But what's, what's interesting about that to me is that female characters are usually in the service of the guy. Completely. In some way. What's subversive about this is that doesn't matter to your character. You love him, you care about him and all that stuff, but you came first, mm-hmm. you know, and you coming first causes a shitstorm. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the response has been so amazing because yeah. people are projecting yeah. to a degree their, their own relationships, their own, you know, histories right. and their past. And, and that's what's so interesting to see, like the conversations that this right. is sparking around this Do show. you think men are just forgiven more for, for that on screen? Yeah, I think there's just, um, I don't know, there's something about egos, man. Once you bruise that, you can't, mm-hmm. the, for some reason, women can't come back from, mm-hmm. from cheating. There's just something, and, I, and that's not to say that some men don't take women back who cheat. Right. You know, I've seen that happen, but there's just something about um, women women aren't expected to do that. You know, mm-hmm. there's just a justification that men have of, right. of, of of having a wandering eye. And it's supposed to be emotionless so mm-hmm. you can come back. And there's a perception that women can't cheat for lust, you know, that mm-hmm. we always have to have our emotions involved. Yeah, for the idea, the traditional idea is like, you know, if, if the relationship felt like it was over and a woman's like going to get like relief from the UN or something for their relationship. Mm. Like that's why she cheats for a man. It's like, I'm just a dog. Yeah. I, I just gotta go. Exactly. You know? And those were like understood, you know? I don't know. It's, 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 it's a double standard for sure. Yeah. I mean, what would you do? Would you take, would you take a woman back? Who's I think it depends on the situation, but you know, I'm kind of old school, so I can only, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> now, this is, now the Explain. attention turns on Larry What do we do <laughs> It's very difficult I mean I think it depends on the situation I've know? met so many men who just And it depends where we are in the relationship too So um, if we were with this person for five years Five years is a long time The relationship might feel like it's over Ooh, You know if it's, if it's in that place Where your relationship was To me that might be an indicator that Okay we're right it is over you know, more than how dare you, you hurt me, you can't right. come back. You know, it, it may just be validation for something we were both thinking, like just off the top of my that's head. That's sure. Yeah. But if somebody makes a mistake, that's different. Mistakes, if you really love each other, I think can be talked through. And I think men can make more mistakes than women can. I absolutely agree with that. Women, this is what I'm saying. This is what I feel is subversive about it. Women are allowed to make this mistake. Right. Right. Well, I'm I'm excited to see how 
people respond to the story progressing in the second season. Yes, and in the second season now, you're going through what you have called your hoe phase. Yes. Right. That's, so that's, d- that's please that's describe happen. that. A hoe phase is, I don't know, it could be a rite of passage <laughs> that women go through, mm-hmm. but it's just basically the the sexual liber- liberation of mm-hmm. explore, exploring, mm-hmm. you know, your options. And I think for for mm-hmm. me, it came, like the possibility came during a time where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm desired at one point, like, you know, Mm -hmm. going through so much of middle and high school and just not being checked for at all. Mm -hmm. And then finally coming into my own and being and and then deciding that I didn't want to be in, you know, being a a relationship person and deciding I don't Mm want to have that anymore. I just want to explore and I just want to not have feelings and I just want to get my number up. And <laughs> see what's out there, you know. So in the whole phase, so your feelings have to go to the side. Is your that feelings how? can go to yeah. Your mm-hmm. feelings go to the side, and right. it really just is about like just pleasure at the end of the day, mm-hmm. pleasure and exploration. And I feel like every woman has an opportunity to mm-hmm. do that, and right. some don't. You know, mm-hmm. I I break it down. That's one. Some don't. Some decide not to. Some want to mm-hmm. just wait. Some spend their whole lives hoeing, and right. whether <laughs> right. it's by choice or just right. because they've they've been relegated to hoedom and others like can just go in and out of the whole phase. Like they can, they can have one and then just seamlessly leave it and, you know, get married or settle down and put it behind them. Do you think in the whole phase, when your feelings are shut off, do you think that's more frustrating for guys or when guys are in their whole phase or, you know, a guy's whole phase is called his life. Yeah, exactly. I feel like guys just, yeah, it really, it's not a phase. It's just a hoe. Um, and I think it's just hoary. That's it. And that's accepted. And, and, and women, uh-huh. even even that language, like women have to have a phase. You right. know, it's right. like you can't, right. you can't be a hoe for the rest of your life. And men, it's like that's expected of them. Right. But do you? Should women want to be a hoe for all of their life? I oh. mean, it's even the label of hoe. I, I say it I because we're clear. Yeah. Well, maybe I did bring <laughs> yeah. up hoe. I'm like, I didn't bring up hoe. Actually, I did bring up hoe. Uh, no, it's, I think that it's <laughs> it's definitely a choice. Like, should mm-hmm. women want to be? Like, some women just want to have sex. There's some women that don't want to settle down. They just right. want to have fun. And I feel like that's it's just not socially acceptable. And Do you so think you age makes a difference it. with your hoe phase? Yeah, I think so. Like even in me getting started with my whole phase, I was like, oh, I'm about to do this. And then I mm-hmm. fell in love in my 20s and was like, you know, by the time I got to my 30s, I was like, oh, is it too late? Is it too late for me to hoe? Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know what there <laughs> there is. Like George right. Clooney just got married. So nobody's calling him a hoe. He had a long hoe phase. He had a very long right. hoe life and yeah. just decided to settle down. Madonna yeah. has had a well, she's had several marriages, right? Doesn't mean she left her hoe face. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Madonna is pretty. She's been great about her hoe face. It seems. Yeah. I think I don't know about Janet Jackson. Yeah. Janet Jackson had whole songs, but I don't know if she had like a whole life. Right. Yeah. Because she's never been married, right? No, she was yeah. married to Jermaine Dupri. But if you mix the Jehovah's Witness stuff in there, <laughs> then it gets real complicated. I, yeah. Right. Okay. I think Congress Jehovah's. is going through a whole phase because they're just trying to fuck everybody right now. Come on. Up top. <laughs> no, come on. not. Nope. Come on. He's, what? Mm-mm. I don't get anything for that. <laughs> that was, come on. No. God, you guys, Issa's just looking at me right now, you guys. Mm-mm. She gives me that. That was a quality professional this joke. This took me back to <laughs> our writing process. This is how we work together, actually. Uh Okay, so I have a couple of bones to pick with you on a, on a couple of your podcasts. Okay. First right. one. Bring it on. 
is the satire paradox. Ah, yes. Yes. It's very controversial. I think at the time, I remember a lot of people were tweeting about this and were talking about it. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I disagree with your premise on here on what is the purpose of satire. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like you're saying that the purpose of satire is to affect change or to maybe take a position on something. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to make a confession. Okay. <laughs> and that is, that piece doesn't quite work because mm-hmm. I'm making two arguments simultaneously and they're, I don't reconcile them. Okay. Argument one is that satire cannot have, can never have the effect of speaking truth to power that it wants to because mm-hmm. it's fundamentally ambiguous and that people who you think would be shaken up by the satire will simply interpret it in a different way. That's the Archie Bunker problem that okay. Archie Bunker doesn't, he tries to satirize American rednecks. The problem is that red, American rednecks love Archie Bunker. Mm-hmm. They don't see him as satirizing them. They see him as celebrating them. Problem number two is, then I make a, a, a parallel argument, which is contradictory, which is I say, in order to work, then, <laughs> satire has to be really, really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are two different arguments. Yes. You know, and- I, can't, I try to have it both ways, and I didn't quite understand. I should have picked a side. Either you have to be mean in order to make it work, or it can't work. (laughs) Well, I guess where I disagree with you is is where you say work, make it work. I think you're feeling that, like from my point of view, someone who writes satire and who's been around it, making it work is, first of all, getting laughs. And satire is about revealing a truth, not taking a side, you know. And Ah. it's not about wanting to affect change. It's really shining a light. Like change comes, that's in somebody else's hand as far as change is concerned. You know, yeah. the, the satire's job is to have the flashlight and to say, look at this. And I'm doing it in this funny way so we can see it in a different way. But there has been, I think, a, a desire for people to want it to do more. And it felt like mm-hmm. that's where your premise was starting from, was that desire for whatever side you're on, for satire to do the job of doing something as opposed to showing something, you know? I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Uh, I think that show, remember, is conceived in the aftermath of the, actually was conceived during the election. Yes. Uh, You know, I was so caught up in the kind of frenzy of what can we do to expose Trump for who he is. (laughs) There you go. I I think I, I kind of bought into, but I think you're right. I mean, I think of the many critiques I heard of that show, Uh, yours is the that's the one that makes the most sense to me. I think oh. that I was overstating, you know, I was it was a, it was a little bit of a straw man there in sure. um asking Saturday to do more than it reasonably can be expected to do. Yes, and I'll give you an example. Um like when you brought up Tina Fey and uh and I agree with you that she's brilliant, but I disagreed with you that that what she did was toothless because I felt like it's an unfair assessment of what her intention is. You know, like the fact that she's using Palin's own words to do that routine is actually what makes it brilliant. And then mm-hmm. who you decide what you want from that. But the act of what she's doing is what's brilliant, not the effect that it has, you know. But I will only say about that that I think you're right. However, my problem with that is that Sarah Palin is essentially a sourpuss. Yes, that is your Tina, opinion. That's my opinion. But no, right. I think it's it's... Safe to say there is a, what is unpleasant ultimately, what, what was both the cause of her success mm-hmm. and also the cause of her kind of 
fading from the public eye mm-hmm. was there is a kind of nasty strain of know nothingism and ignorance and anger in her. <laughs> um, and people perceive that, right, on the way up and perceive that on yes. the way down. Tina Fey, on the other hand, is someone who is nothing but winning. Mm-hmm. And so you have this problem. This is a, maybe, maybe a separate problem from, a, from the satire problem per se, but okay. this problem when someone who is extraordinarily winning and charismatic yes. so effectively portrays someone who is not. I disagree with no- that. I have a huge disagreement with that. I was at the Republican convention that year. Sarah uh-huh. Palin was a rock star at that convention. They didn't even care nobody. about John McCain. I mean, she could have been at the top of that ticket. I mean, her charisma just soared through that whole arena. You know, whoever wrote her speech did a fantastic job of really uh, presenting that folksiness that that uh, Faye made fun of in, with some great one-liners or whatever. You know, yeah. and it is politics. That's part of the politician's job. But the phenomenon of Sarah Palin, you can't, like, act like she wasn't charismatic and her charisma and her charm and all those things was was really what made her effective. But I agree with you. It wasn't her her thoughts on policy. You know, it was the way she took a stance. She was the first one to kind of, she was that first candidate with charm and humor to really throw that Tea Party take right into the face of the the establishment Democrats at that time. She really was the first one. Because McCain, he was that establishment Republican. You know, he was more genteel. He was, you know... McCain, he's 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 more of a fair guy. He's not going to be. He's not a flamethrower the way Palin was. But she did it with charm and humor. Now the other, so that part of what Faye was doing, like she's doing the complete phenomena of Sarah Palin in my mind. But using her words mm-hmm. exposed what you're talking about, you know, and then that type of thing. Which and that's why I say that's what the the brilliant thing was. It was both of those things, you know. Yeah, I will only say this, Larry. If someone said to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday Night Live is going to make a, uh, is going to have a recurring character right. over the course of the next season who just makes fun of you. But say, good luck with your uh, ratings. We're going to let you. We're going <laughs> to let you choose who's going to play Larry Wilmar. Right. Right. Who are you going to choose? You're going to choose the most charming person you can find, the best looking, most charming, most winning person, and almost. I mean, if Dave Chappelle did a Larry Wilmore impersonation, oh. or a satirical oh, impersonation, good. I like that. We're going to love you more, not less, right? Yes, but I, I think you're just mad that people loved her more. I, I think that's irrelevant, to be honest with you. Um, but that's just you saying you wouldn't want Dave Chappelle to do the Larry Wilmore impersonation? Oh, it'd be fantastic. I would love that. But I'm exactly. saying whether or not people love Sarah Payne anymore is irrelevant to me. It's the it's if you're going to break down the purpose of satire. How people yeah. feel afterwards is not the point, you know. Yeah, no, no. I, I will. I'll. I'll. I'll give you that one. Yeah, I'm backing okay. down. I'm All right. Down. Okay, but I got another one. I got another okay. one. And uh, and I think you'll see my point on this one too. Okay, so a good walk spoiled. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, golf and country clubs and how they're misusing. Uh, I'm going to be. I'm generalizing here, like public funds mm-hmm. and that sort of thing to get like um, unfair let's say, tax um, benefits and using land that you feel it was better used for something else, right? Yeah, that's a version of it, yeah. Sure, sure, right. Now, I feel as an attack of country clubs, completely valid. But you go after golf itself. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, hold on a second, Malcolm. Why are you attacking the game? This is some player, this is what we call player hating on golf. 
Because there's no reason to go after the game of golf. If you're going after country clubs, I understand. But golf? You're going after the game? That doesn't even make well, sense no, no, to I'm me. setting up the argument. It's yeah. important for the argument. The point is that understanding golf as an addiction yeah. explains why rich white people in Los Angeles went to such extraordinary attempts to hoodwink the public into giving them a tax break. So it's, it, it, it's necessary to understand the crime here, to understand the thing that drove them to the crime. They're not... The, you know, the Ma Jong Society of Beverly Hills uh-huh. didn't get a constitutional amendment passed to protect <laughs> Ma Jong, did they? Why? Because uh-huh. Ma Jong's not an addiction. <laughs> no. But golf is an addiction. No, no, because Ma Jong's not played by rich white men in the 19-teens. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> no, no. I mean, what's the point? Let me ask. Okay, I'm going to say, I'll make my argument a different way. Okay. Why? If I'm going to go after uh-huh. the country clubs of Los Angeles, yes. why would I pass up? perfectly good opportunity to go after the game of golf. No. Too much fun. No. Too much fun. No. Because <laughs> not. Cause... Wait, I cannot believe you of all people, you of all people are calling me to task. Yes. For taking truth. on a sacred cow. Because satire I mean, is truth, my friend. It is truth. Can, can, can I, remi- can I remind I'm, Larry I'm Wilmore it 100. who Larry Wilmore is? I'm keeping who? it 100. <laughs> Larry Wilmore is somebody who respects sports. <laughs> and what sports can do, you know. I cannot believe I'm getting a lecture on this from you. That's yes. all I'm saying. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I'm, you, meaning? Who, meaning? <laughs> <laughs> meaning? You're, you're, you, are, you served as the inspiration for people like me. Oh, I'm remembering you're being that too kind. absolutely, you're absolutely brilliant. Um, the thing in Washington. Uh, the well, correspondence thing. Thank you. It's very kind of you. That, that was one of the high watermarks of my last decade. Oh, was like wow. watching those guys squirm. Oh, so man. Did, now, did you, if someone had come up to you afterwards and said, Larry, you didn't have to go that far. <laughs> it's true. You're, Everybody said that. <laughs> <laughs> and they were probably I mean, right. <laughs> no, and the, the correct answer is, fuck you. I'm not going to pass up that opportunity. Let they're all a bunch of fat cats. Let them squirm for 20 minutes. Well, the correct That's answer, the right answer for me was, "You are correct. You would not do that. You are correct. I would do it. You are correct." Right? <laughs> the fact that you would not do it is, is is exactly what I would do. But yes, I I completely get your point, Malcolm. I'm giving you a hard time about this because I love sports, and I know how you're snotty about certain sports, and I know that about you already. You know? Yeah, I am. Uh, I totally am. Yeah. Yes, you have a reputation. Wait, you, for that. you play golf, right? You of, must play. Of, golf. Of course I play golf, but I don't just play golf. I play lots of sports. But golf is a great game, you know, and the game Which, of golf, by the way, um, has it, it. It is a very democratic game. It's not just a country club game, you know. It's one of the few yeah. things that you can go out and just play with strangers who you've never met before and, and have an amazing time, you know. And it's one of Which those exclusive country club do you belong to, Larry? Come on. Oh, stop it with the country club. Those are two different things, Malcolm. This is what I'm trying to tell you. I have played golf all over the world, but it's not just, it's not just, it's not a a defense of of the click of golf. This is the defense of, I feel, not understanding of the actual game of golf, which are different, you know. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. You're you're, You're hating on the game. 